British apples and strawberries will be extinct within 25 years without urgent action to help the bee population. That's quite a statement. Is it really that bad? If there's a shortage of bumblebees or other pollinators, they will not produce the fruit of love. And once regarded as a fringe event, Groundswell's fifth show took place last week. Fair to say fringe no more. Now, every year we see on, on the list more and more sort of large farmers, I mean all sorts of farmers. We'll chat to founder and host farmer Paul Cherry this morning, plus potatoes, poaching, agronomy, the markets and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. It's been announced that the Sutton Bridge Crop Storage Research Centre will close by May next year. This follows the ballot back in March where the potato industry voted to scrap the compulsory AHDB levy and the AHDB say much of that levy was invested in Sutton Bridge in recent years. We'll get the latest on the current potato crop from Colin Jackson of PJP Potatoes in a few minutes. Early standing straw auctions have seen higher prices than last year, despite the larger acreage of winter crops in the ground. One of the first sales achieved £130 an acre, about £30 an acre more than the equivalent sale last year. Farm Safety Week is just three weeks away. We'll hear from the Farm Safety Foundation a little closer and from a manufacturer of quad bikes about what they're doing and what riders can do to be safer. Sadly, we've lost two more workers this week in accidents on farms. The Rural Payments Agency is aiming to launch a slurry treatment grant scheme later this year and is asking farmers to get involved with the online service as part of the preparations. If you'd like to know more, email David Sillett on david.sillett, that's S-I-E-E-T-T, david.sillett at rpa.gov.uk. And the Lincolnshire Young Farmers Rally slated for the 3rd of July has had to be cancelled, but a new date for your diary as they're planning a field day, a get-back-together day, on September the 18th. Keep an eye on their Facebook page for details. Now, have you been the victim of poachers? More and more farmers have. You've only to look at the recent headlines. Three males arrested in the Donnanook area at 1.30am on Sunday morning. Four charged with hunting deer with dogs in Lincolnshire and plenty more. Now, we've spoken in the past on the farming programme about hair coursing in particular and the need to be careful if you see and are thinking of tackling the people who commit these cruel, barbaric and very antisocial crimes. They are generally violent. They won't think twice about attacking a farmer who stands in their way, especially if they're trying to escape. Many farmers are now saying fear of retaliation is silencing them amid relentless targeting by poachers. And this isn't just someone who's desperate and looking for food for their family. This farmer, who wanted to remain anonymous, has been a regular victim. Quite honestly, what goes on is quite barbaric and and sadistic even because these people are doing this for fun they're not doing it to take home an animal to feed their family that is just nonsense these criminals chase deer and hare through the fields regularly leaving crops destroyed but when farmers install gates and take prevention measures poachers often retaliate harder farmers say they're terrified speaking up will put a target on their backs for poachers Farmers historically have allegedly been intimidated by the criminals in rural areas. He wants others to know the signs of poaching, vehicles driving through a field or on the road at night without lights and... High-powered lamps shining across a field at night, flickering on and off because what will happen is a poacher will turn a lamp on sporadically... 
And the farmer added, if in doubt, if you believe a crime's in progress, dial 999 immediately. Do not approach them. Uh, Remember, the What Three Words app on your smartphone is of great help to police in identifying exactly where the activity is taking place, especially in our rural landscape. Now, there has been a bit of good news on hair coursing this week with the announcement of a new offence of going equipped for hair coursing, an increase in the maximum penalty to an unlimited fine and up to six months in prison. CLA President Mark Bridgman said he felt this could be instrumental in deterring hair coursers. Let's hope he's right. Now, back to that statement saying British apples and strawberries will be extinct within 25 years without urgent action. That popped in my inbox this week and caught my attention. It refers to the decline in the population of bees and other vital pollinators, some of which is down to the reduction in pollinator-friendly plants in our gardens. We've more decking, paving and artificial grass, which looks nice but takes away some of the bees' natural feeding points. Let's talk to Roger Hildreth, an Arla farmer from Yorkshire now. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, Steve. British apples and strawberries will be extinct within 25 years without urgent action. That's quite a statement. Is it really that bad? Well, I think it is really. Apples, strawberries and, would you believe it, cucumbers all need bumblebees to be able to pollinate them and make them produce the fruit that we all love. So if there's a shortage of bumblebees or other pollinators, they will not produce the fruit that we love. And the population is dwindling to that extent, is it? Well, the, the population's dwindling massively, really. If you imagine a sort of, you know, a network of pit stops and fuel stations for bumblebees to feed and, and fill up with energy, then you could sort of almost compare that with the motorway network. And imagine everyone driving down the motorway with two out of three service stations closed and trying to fuel the cars up. It's the same for bumblebees, really. There is a shortage of areas and, uh, and suitable flowers for them to pollinate, you know, and, and fill their energy. And what's the reasoning behind that, would you say? I think that, that, that uh, people probably keep the gardens too tidy. As a, an Arla farmer, we are pushing towards growing some more of these pollinator crops and uh, a number of Arla farmers for a, a fair few years, we've been doing it on this farm for three years, have been growing a pollinator crop especially for the bees and sowing the headland of some of our fields that are normally used for producing cow food for the winter, sowing that and planting these pollinator crops. But of course we can't do it alone because they are too far apart so what we really need is some help from all your listeners if they could plant even a window box or a plant pot a small area of their garden with seed that would be fantastic and it would like join join what we're calling the b road which is a road for bees uh to get from a to b a to b it would just it would just help them and they'd be able to feed and pollinate and hopefully expand the range a little more Is this so that the bees don't have to go too far in between each feeding, each pollination? Yes, that's it. Yes, like I I said earlier, it's like them going along the motorway with two out of three service stations closed. And you're teaming up with Bug Life to do this, aren't you? What, What is Bug Life? Well, Bug Life's a charity, really, who are concerned about the lack of pollinators, really, and lack of general bugs around around the gardens, around the countryside. Uh, Arla are teaming up with Bug Life to to promote the Bee Road and, and encourage people to go and look at the ALA website where they will find, uh, find that they can uh, get to one of uh, 10,000 free packs of seed. So in the gardens are window boxes or plant pots, really. Every small amount helps. Certainly every farm that I visit, there's more and more headlands, there's more and more areas being set aside for this kind of thing, aren't there? 
Yeah, yeah, we do really. And, you know, we're, we're fairly keen on working to improve the biodiversity, which we have been doing on this farm for several years now. But really, we just can't do this alone. There just aren't enough plots around. So we just need help from everyone to plant a few uh, pollinator-friendly flowers and just create a, a bee motorway, if you like. Great stuff. Roger Hildreth, Arla Farmer from Yorkshire. Thanks ever so much for joining us. And thanks very much, Steve, for asking me along onto your show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like to help by planting a stretch of Bee Road, you can get your free seed pack from Arla online at arlafoods.co.uk. And bees really are so important and quite remarkable little creatures, eh, Sean? Good morning. Yes, morning, Steve. Extraordinary little creatures. Yeah, we couldn't do our job without them. And I, I don't mean Isla farmers, I mean bees. Every year, I spend a dozen hours a day or more, every day, from the end of February to August, walking about in fields, and every year I'm surrounded by those little buzzing bees every single day from when it warms up in the spring. They're with me all the time. They've always been there as well. 32 years I've done this job, and we've seen those older, noxious insecticides like Gamacol, Metacystox, Chlorpyrifos, and binfos, demethoate. We've seen them used and we've seen them removed from our use. And then we've seen the newer state-of-the-art evolution of insecticides over the course of the last two or three decades to more considerate profiles, so kinder to beneficials, much more safe to pollinators such as bees and butterflies and all the little beasties which are doing us favour in these crops and they come and go as well through political interference through NGO misinformation pseudoscience social engineering call it what you will um so through that we lost a vital group of insecticides called the neonicotinoids, for example. And we've seen a move over the last 20 or 30 years by growers and agronomists themselves to become much more aware and much more active in the protection of bees and other beneficial creatures. And it's now the norm, for example, to use insecticides just as a last resort to protect our food sources and the quality of that food when all else has failed. But we have a direct focus on protecting bees and pollinators and beneficials at all costs. Farmers will quite routinely go out and spray in the middle of the night while the bees are in bed. You know, we're always working to IPM thresholds to ensure the protection of these creatures. Bees are absolutely vital. Farmers protect bees because they are vital. They're little partners in every one of our farms. And our education as an industry is the key, the evolution of that conscience that we have as a collective... That is the lock. And by working together and understanding our environment, we unlock a more sustainable partnership between us and the bees. Farmers know that. We manage that partnership and we have done for decades, every day, every week, every month and every year. And, you know, they're such fascinating little creatures, though, really. When you think about how many hives there must be in the UK, between 30 and 50,000 bees in a hive. Each bee weighs about a one one hundredth of a gram. A bee produces about a tablespoonful of honey in its entire lifetime and they fly at about seven and a half miles an hour. But it takes 685 bees flying 32,500 miles to gather 2.6 kilos of nectar from about 1.2 million plants in order to make 
A one 270-gram jar of honey. Fantastic. They are extraordinary creatures. I've seen more swarms this year as well, by the way, than I've seen before. And as long as you don't wave your arms about in amongst them, they won't bother you in the least. But never, ever kill a swarm of bees. Google your local beekeepers and they'll come out and collect them. So what was I saying? Oh, yeah, agronomy. Right, let's move on to agronomy then. So short and sweet today. But um, talking about bees, the wet weather really doesn't do them many favours at the best time so that variable rainfall eight millimeters i took at home there was 23 millimeters around lincoln potter hamworth way 30 millimeters dunstan navenby around 48 millimeters down towards little hell and that will have caused the flying bees a few issues as indeed it did us but fortunately for us it came straight down and not on the horizontal so it'll have done an awful lot of good and we're now set for a bit of grain fill so all we need some good sunshine and away we go capitalizing on those prices out there i better not say that too loud they'll soon drop them won't they T3's pretty much done then on winter wheats. Those later flowering crops may well have benefiting from an application of fungicide like tebuconazole, prothiaconazole from Fusarium ear blight control in that wet spell if it coincided with their flowering. So 36 hours after anther presentation, and remember in wheat flowering is pretty much complete by the time the ear breaks out of the boot, 36 hours after anther presentation and you're wasting your time trying to control Fusarium. It's already in. All you're going to get is a foliar top-up. But with some of the varieties out there like Kinetic and Kerrion and several others showing massively increasing levels of yellow rust and Septorian adorum, that foliar top-up may well be crucial again this year. Interesting, by the way, that Saki and Firefly, two good profile varieties, pretty clean where they were drilled mid-October onwards, but that where they went in in September, um, you know, that cougar parentage is really starting to show up now. Always the case of more disease in an earlier drilled wheat crop, but that gives me a little bit of a concern in those particular varieties. First signs of downy mildew in the spring beans showing up now. Blight weather though, so no surprise there. Blight and downy mildew, similar pathotypes, but nothing really in the way of chocolate spot or rust thus far. Little in the way of black aphid activity either. And remember, we've only got one application of perimicarb available to us between the 1st of May and the 31st of August, so use it wisely. Far safer to bees and ladybirds. And remember that its marketing slogan was be safe, and that's be spelt B-double-E. That ties in quite nicely with what we're talking about, doesn't it? Spring barley, spring wheat, spring oats, flowering now quite widely. That rain will help fill them as well. Disease levels low, no rust or mildew really seen to mean anything in the oats. A sniff of rinko in the barley, but that's only to be expected in all that wet stuff. Very little of consequence in spring wheat, really. Fungicides and herbicides all working pretty well, but just as in winter cereals, those wild oats, the ryegrasses, the bromes, they just keep on popping up. So watch any herbicide application with one eye on the cut-off date and the cut-off timing for their safe use. Sugar beet hitting one nymph per plant, thresholds in places and tapiki going on where required, but generally speaking, pretty much all met across the row, with or without the Lincolnshire Show, which I think is the new rhyme. I don't think I've ever seen sugar beet grow as fast as it has done this year. Winter barley, winter rye, cheesy ripe now in the main, so it'll not be long before it starts to turn colour. There's a turny one at Boothby, by the way, um, you may see next week if you're about on Lincoln Heath. I can't see why you would be, but you may well be. Anyway, look, things are starting to change. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. 
Last week saw the fifth groundswell show in Hertfordshire, focusing on regenerative and conservation agriculture. It would be fair to say that in the early years, this was regarded as rather a fringe event. Not so now. Founder and host farmer Paul Cherry. No, well, you're quite right. I mean, it, this is what's so exciting. Every year we, we double in, in, in delegate numbers. Um, and you're absolutely right. It was We sensed that a lot of conventional farmers... Even if they were interested, they wouldn't. They did, didn't really want to be seen here. Now, every year we see on, on the list more and more sort of not just large farmers. I mean, all sorts of farmers, but, but people who don't want to come and just get some ideas. Um, and also, it doesn't take much to look at the bottom line of your profit and loss. See what it what it's going to look like without the uh, BPS. Soil is perhaps the big focus, Paul, not just at the show, but for regenerative agriculture generally, yeah? Yes, it's, I mean, it's so much more than that, because by always having living um, roots in the soil, you know, growing cover crops, deep rooting, introducing animals into the arable rotation is, a, is another really important thing. To so, you know, actually, rather than just always reaching for the bag or the, or the bottle, to actually go back to some basic principles of farming. And the focus not just on soil, but water too, which of course has been a major issue for us in Lincolnshire over the last couple of years in particular. You have a rainfall simulator at the show. What does that do? We spray two inches of rain in a quarter of an hour on these trays of, of soils under different management, so permanent pasture at one end, down to sort of cultivated soil at the other end. And the trays are uh, got percolations underneath them, so you've got the water, and the water that infiltrates goes into one jar, and the water that runs off the front goes into another jar. And so the jars are ample demonstration. Permanent pasture, yes, the water's going through the, through the soil, but it's clean in the jar at the bottom. Cultivated soil, a whole lot of very dirty water, not only coming off the, the top of the soil, but also infiltrating through. That's all you need to say. You know, once you've seen it, that should tell you everything, really. Do you find there's much resistance to your ideas and principles, Paul, thinking about carbon and climate change, for instance? Five years ago, there was still... I would say there was still a lot of sort of carbon doubters and climate change doubters. That's all gone out the window. And we can prove very easily how easy it is to store carbon in your soil and build fertility and reduce your costs and grow healthier plants. This is, it's, it's a sort of win-win-win-win-win situation. Paul, what about the effects of adopting regenerative farming on the bottom line? No, no I mean, we, we can prove very easily that yield is no longer king. There again, five, six years ago, all the knowledge was yield and price. It's all you have to do. Yield, arable farming is so simple, it's yield and price. Regenerative agriculture you know, is, is, is a cheaper form of farming, so it's not. So if you're spending less money, then you don't need to have those massive yields, uh, and you can still you're, you're future-proofing your farm by dramatically um, reducing capital expenditure and a lot of the variable costs. Well, I'm off for a chat now with some exhibitors and visitors to the show, which we'll hear on next week's farming programme. For now, good luck with the rest of Groundswell, and thank you, Paul Cherry. Lovely. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. 
It's about time we had an update from the potato fields as we approach the first earlies. How's things looking, Colin Jackson from PJP Potatoes? Well, we're into the very first earlies at the moment, the proper new potatoes. You go to a restaurant and, and people will say, oh, these are new potatoes, but they're really not. I mean, now is the only time of year that you will get proper new potatoes and uh, and the taste really is fantastic on them. We've had a fairly kind uh, weather f- to start the year. I know we've had moments with frost and so on, but has the weather been kind to you so far? Well, the the crop has been delayed. I would say that in general terms, the crop is is so somewhere around ten days behind where it would normally be. Um, obviously, this week would have been Lincolnshire Show Week, and traditionally, mm-hmm. a lot of people would have potatoes ready for Lincolnshire Show Week. And we've really still only got a a hatful of growers who are going with the very first early polythene covered potatoes. And uh, you would normally be expecting to start the, the first of the open ground potatoes around now. Those early frosts certainly did have an effect on us, which uh, we're still paying for now. And any early indications of quality and quantity? Um, quality looks pretty good. Um, Quantity-wise, yeah, it's still a little bit early to tell because, uh, as I say, things are behind. So if you, if you took a stab at it now, you would say that actually um, the crop is, uh, is, is light compared to usual. Um, but it is just a, a time frame thing, the potential in the crop. You know, a lot of crops look very good and I think they will just take a little bit longer to do it. Any issues with blight? No, not particularly. People seem to be, you know, able to keep up with the spray programmes. Obviously, we've been through some sort of quite windy weather, um, but that seems to have died down as well now. So providing people keep well on top of the spray programmes, um, we're OK at the moment with that. Good, good. So look forward to some nice new potatoes with the salad in the next few weeks. Yes, that's exactly right. As I say, it's the, it's the perfect time of year for new spuds. All right, Colin. Colin Jackson of PJP Potatoes. Thanks once again. Thank you. Just can't beat new potatoes on a summer salad. Gorgeous. Let's see what the grain markets have been doing this week. In for Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Good morning, Jerome Fielder. Good morning. Harvest is creeping towards us and there feels like there's quite a lull in the market as growers look to clear their stores and get them cleaned up, ready to go again. Old crop trade is relatively quiet as markets ease back with the expectation that new crop French wheat will hit our shores in late July to cover the consumer until the UK harvest arrives. Values on old crop are still circa 30 to 40 quid higher on wheat and barley compared to new crop, so not bad prices to be getting cleared out at. I can't imagine many farmers carrying stock this year. Globally, the focus next week will be on the USDA stocks and acreage report, which will show how much the pandemic dented demand, but also how many additional maize acres were planted. The suspicion is that demand has been understated. The trade suspects that the additional maize acres are at 2 million extra. We are now well into the weather markets, although all the volatility seems to have come and gone six weeks ago now. There is still plenty to focus on as the West Northern Plains and Canadian Prairies have been short of rain. These dry areas include the states of Iowa, Minnesota and the Dakotas, which comprise of 45% of the wheat acreage in the US. So this makes the USDA's record yield forecast less believable. The European crop is looking far better, apart from quality concerns in the Balkans and France. Russia is particularly difficult to predict, with taxes often throwing curveballs. Russia's domestic prices are still high, and the government are scared about food price rises. Recent news of failed Brazilian maize crop, Chinese buying and increased global demand seem to be failing to have much impact on the market at the moment.
Looking now at barley, although the European barley crop is nearly 700,000 hectares down year on year, both winter and spring barley crops are in better condition than they were at this time last year. Earlier this week, Mars, the European Crop Monitoring Bulletin, revised their spring and winter barley forecast yields up above the five-year average by 4% and 5% respectively. If malting barley crops achieve their potential across the main European production regions of France, UK and Scandinavia, we could see malting premiums dip initially as harvest pressure develops. However, stocks of the 2020 crop malting barley are low and demand for malt is strong in Europe, also globally. Exports of malt out of Europe are 15% above last year and we hear that UK maltsters are working at or near full capacity. Now just looking at rapeseed briefly, dry weather in the Canadian prairies is creating concern for rapeseed crops with soil moisture levels at multi-year lows. Support is also coming from the rising price of crude oil and lack of sellers, although the firming pound is putting pressure on domestic values. Now for your ex-farm values. July feed wheat is trading at £190 to £194 depending on your ex-farm location. Harvest wheat is trading at 160 to 164 pounds, with a four pounds carry to November. Milling premiums are a struggle on old crop, with markets hard to come by. On new crop, you're looking at 15 to 20 pounds again, depending on location. Feed barley is 170 to 175 pounds on for old crop July barley, and harvest barley is trading at 143 to 146 pounds for harvest. Beans on new crop are trading at £200 X for harvest and allseed rape is trading at £410 X farm for harvest. For any news or inquiries, please speak to your local open field farm business manager. Thank you. Thank you, Jerome. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Bit of high pressure around this week, but a mostly dry week with light winds. Today's winds in the teens MPH from the northeast, mostly dry with highs of 19 Celsius. Calmer and a little cooler tomorrow. The wind stays northeasterly, but down into single figures. Dry through the day with a high of 16. Much the same for the middle of the week. Light northerly wind, mostly dry with some sunshine and temperatures getting up to 20 on Thursday. Some rains forecast overnight into Friday and the wind backs around to the northwest. Highs in the mid-teens to end the week. Well, that's it for this week. Hopefully see you at Cereals and we'll hear more from Groundswell on next week's programme. Until then, have a good farming week. <laughs>